0: Hey guys, this is Table Talks with Atares, an inside look at the everyday conversations we have at our table. I'm MJ. I'm Ash. And today
1: we get an inside look into MJ's heart. (laughs) Oi. How
0: do avoiders love?
1: Yeah, so we're following up our conversation the book, How We Love. We're talking about the avoider, which is your love style. And yeah, it's a good conversation. It starts out pretty Pretty safe, you yeah. know, and, and a little bit guarded maybe, but classic, classic avoider style. But I, I think we land the plane there. So hope you guys enjoy. So this is a continuation of a conversation that we had regarding love styles taken mm-hmm. from the book, How We Love. And last time we talked about my style, which was Up. the vacillator. And today, we're gonna talk about your style, which is? The avoider. The avoider.
0: Dun, dun, dun. I don't wanna talk about it.
1: Ah. So, why don't we start by having you describe Mm -hmm. the avoider love style and how it shaped your view of love.
0: Yeah, so, from my understanding of the avoider love style, it's the, man, I'm just completely blank. (laughs) what it is and so i think back referencing back to the study of how the attachment theory Mm -hmm. where a child is left with a stranger and then the caretaker returns how does the avoider respond in that situation they have no emotions
1: yeah they don't get distressed i think yeah when the caretaker leaves and they kind of detach Mm -hmm. and re-engagement i think
0: and so i would Probably describe the avoider love style then as just a status quo, Hmm. narrow band of emotions. And probably if you describe yourself as somebody who's fairly easygoing Hmm. and easy to please, that maybe there's a chance that that person is actually an avoider or has the avoider love style. The other indicator of what an avoider love style is, is that I'm speaking from experience, so I don't even know if this is true of all avoiders. Yeah. That's and maybe we should actually pull up the the definition of the avoider love style.
2: Yeah, I can do
0: that. Based on the book, the avoider love style places high value on independence and mm. self-reliance. Mm-hmm. And avoiders grow up learning to take care of themselves, to deal with the anxiety of having so little comfort and nurturing from their caretakers they've learned to restrict their feelings and suppress their needs hmm. and so as adults avoiders can seem emotionally distanced or unengaged so traits of an avoider or things that an avoider would resonate with is you know i'm usually fine and when something bad happens i try to get over it quickly um in in my family growing up we rarely talked about personal concerns hmm. i'm usually happiest happiest when others are happy and don't want a lot for me I don't want to think about my feelings and needs very often and I do, I need my space. I don't really miss my spouse or family if I'm away from them for a while.
1: Would you say that's cuz you're reading from a description would you say that you resonate with these? Side? Yeah,
0: probably. <laughs> I like don't
1: miss us when you're gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that one I referenced specifically last because I don't know. I think go ahead. I think it's more of that that it's not so much that I don't care about you guys as much as it is there's like a status quo that it's established yeah and that unless something changes I assume that that's still the case and so I have learned or I am learning that although you may feel that way about your relationship with your spouse or your family Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that's how you feel about things Mm. and so I'm, I'm practicing engaging with you through like affirming you in words and things like that that you know how I feel inside of where like it's still status quo doesn't actually mean that I'm disinterested or I don't miss you yeah or I don't think highly of you
1: yeah I think about that quote I don't know where this is from it's like I love you and until something changes or oh, what is it I, I said I loved you mm-hmm. and until that changes I don't have to say it again that still oh, is the case yeah something yeah. like that yeah how would you say then that that has shaped the way that you view love either with me or even just just relationally with family
0: or yeah I think uh, for our relationship it's definitely grown me in how I think of or how I view love because I think up to our relationship there probably was always a sense of like a distance Mm -hmm. with how I related to others and that wasn't because i didn't want to be close, but it was just that it was unfamiliar, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so until you're in a relationship with somebody for over seven years and you have to work through some of the things that maybe you could get away with in other relationships, as an avoider, you could probably get away with a lot of feeling like others feel close to you mm. without you really having to disclose or share a lot about yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say when you were talking, that's how one way that I would have described you when I first knew you was guarded. And it's interesting because it's not that you were secretive or anything like that when maybe when you think of the word guarded, but it was more of just you were so good at listening to other people and asking questions, but didn't really ever allow the conversation to turn back to questions for you. So getting to know you was actually yeah. kind of mysterious a little bit because you're really good at you're a really good listener and you have a very trustworthy and open access about you to where people feel comfortable sharing and you're really good at asking questions of people. But yeah. That that conversation things. doesn't really get turned around.
0: Right. Yeah. You ask things of others so that they don't have to ask things about you. hmm Is probably some of the MO of an avoider. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that distance where, like, let's not get into the what an avoider would probably describe as the discomfort of the touchy-feely emotions mm-hmm. is where we would prefer to be.
1: Yeah. So, looking back on your relationships, uh-huh. with the knowledge that you have now of us going through this book, learning yeah. our styles and how they interact with each other and the conflict cycle that right. it perpetuates. Um, how do you think your style has impacted significant relationships in your life?
0: Yeah, so when I think about, you know, relationships with you and now with our kids too, I realize that there's spaces I need to and places I need to go to verbally in terms of affirming that are unfamiliar to me and that my tendency is to fall back to go, returning to the status quo. Mm-hmm. And especially like when we have very different styles and your emotional spectrum is way broader. And then, you know, our kids are just exactly the age that they are. And Mm -hmm. I mean, sorry, our kids behave exactly the age that they are. Right. And so they are learning emotions. They have emotional outbursts. I think just being comfortable with allowing our three-year-old to be our three-year-old and a one-year-old to be our one-year-old. Yeah. And... Not letting that, not asking them to be further along, or you know, manage their emotions prematurely, mm-hmm. is is something that I'm like learning to work through, and I think I can get a pretty good handle on it now. But I'm just curious as to what that could look like for me as a dad of a teenager, hmm. yeah. Or when they actually intentionally do things against you to just want to show you that they don't have to obey you or whatever like things like that where okay right now it's probably a little bit more of learning and figuring out what the boundaries are and testing to see where my limits are but then later on it's just testing whether or not you have a follow-through as a parent and just straight up rebelling against and disobeying what you're asking them to do yeah and that might stir up emotions in me that are different from what it would be right now where I feel like it's going to be way more challenging to want to stay engaged emotionally Mm -hmm. especially when that's not like my comfort zone or my area of where I'm willing to just stay in Mm
3: -hmm. yeah
1: so what would you say then are some Mm -hmm. blind spots of an avoider.
0: I don't know. You tell me, babe. <laughs> I would probably say that you you probably end up thinking the way that you relate to others is how others think of you. Mm. And it's probably very confusing as to why somebody else might feel differently about how you view something. Yeah, Like, hey, that, that doesn't logically make sense for you to be upset about that. So I don't understand why you're upset about it. Yeah. And... I think there's probably a tendency for an avoider to want to get others to think the way that you're thinking because it's, you're more level headed hmm. mm-hmm. and that's just not how everybody is. So I think there's that. I also think that you might not be as, you just aren't as affectionate to your loved ones or to your spouse or to your children in your natural state because you think everything is just fine. As long as everything's fine. Mm -hmm. I don't have to affirm my children. I don't have to affirm my spouse because everything's fine. Yeah. And so there's just really nothing going on there emotionally to express what you think because maybe you don't spend a lot of time thinking about how you feel about that person. Mm -hmm. So it's just like emotionally underdeveloped because you've not parked your, you know, you've not spent time. You haven't spent time unpacking what that emotion really is. So it's Mm -hmm. hard to identify what it is. And then in turn, express that to your loved one. Hmm. So even in just describing, like talking about it right now is slightly uncomfortable (laughs) because it's just like such a realm that, you know, I've not spent a lot of time unpacking and Mm -hmm. being comfortable with.
3: Yeah.
1: It's interesting because we've been married for seven years now and I'm not an avoider. So there's a lot of... I have insights from being married to you, but it's still hard for me to understand sometimes because yeah. I just see love very differently, and the ways that I seek connection are very different from you. And so, um, so I say all that to say, you know, I say this with a grain of salt because I'm not the avoider here. Yeah. But I think in living with you and learning to kind of work through this together. What each of us are bringing to the table as it relates to yep. love, yep. I think, at least from my understanding of the book, that was like a. This is a very long caveat to what I'm actually about to say here. <laughs> I feel like I just disclaimed like all these mm-hmm. different things, I'm trying to dance around the fact that I'm trying to be careful with what I say here. So yeah. Um, it seems like in the avoider home, it was common for. I guess maybe the way that this style gets imprinted Mm -hmm. which is the way the terminology the book uses of this is how someone develops this style is that right the child's needs can be sometimes be overwhelming and so they're suppressed so things like i was thinking about when you were talking about you know evie's outbursts and these emotional expressions crying and things that she has and does because you know she's three i think what's interesting is that you are a very autonomous person like you are fully able to meet your needs and yet i think one of the blind spot areas of someone who is so highly i think they call them uh was it super independent hyper independent is mm-hmm. what they call them is that you're really good at seeing your own needs but not really great at seeing others others mm-hmm. other people's needs and so in a family in a home if everybody is kind of operating from that way then you know maybe everybody can meet their needs but it can it creates an interesting dynamic yeah. when one of us is an avoider and the other one is not. Yeah. Um, because then in my style, isn't as hyper independent and kind of more intuitively sees the needs of others. And so it's interesting because we're kind of bringing opposite things to the table in um, what we bring to the family unit as a whole, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that can maybe be a blind spot area. It's just, hyper aware of your own needs but maybe have a harder time seeing the needs of others when Mm -hmm. they rise or the needs of others can just be overwhelming to you in general you kind of expect that everybody else is going to meet their own needs as well
0: yeah and i think it starts with not really knowing because i think a large portion of those needs are actually just emotional needs Mm. and i think the self the the hyper independence from meeting your own needs isn't really necessarily like a I know how I feel and so I will do this in response yeah I wonder if it's just I know how to cope with how I feel Mm. and so I meet that need and then in turn turning around and I don't know how the other person feels because I don't even know what that is Mm -hmm. and so until they say something until you say something to me about how you need something specifically I assume that you're okay yeah and that if you had something that you would need and I tend to default this to some sort of physical need. Yeah, yeah. Like you're hungry, you're tired, you're frustrated that the kitchen's not clean, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I don't think of it as there's an emotional need. Right. Necessarily. Yeah. And I think the being in tune with other people's needs, you need to delineate it between what are physical needs and like actually the emotional radar part of your emotional needs as right. well. Yeah. things that like it's just underdeveloped or non-existent. Right. Because like you said, your upbringing probably catered to if you needed something, you kind of just did it because you're not going to see that from anybody else.
1: Right. Or physical needs are highly emphasized and things like support, encouragement, comfort are not as important or, you know, utilized in the family, maybe.
0: Yeah. Or that physical needs should be translated into an an emotional need that is that should be met. And so I love you. So I'll make you a meal Hmm. so that you'll feel full Hmm. and feel taken care of. Whereas I know for you, it means so much more to you for me to just say, babe, I know you're not feeling well. I'll take care of you. Hmm. And whether or not we end up sitting down and having me cook you a five course meal or we go out to Chipotle, you feel taken care of. It doesn't matter the act. It's more, What I say that's more important. And that's an emotional need that probably as an avoider doesn't come to the surface right away. Mm -hmm. But I've learned that it doesn't mean that it's actually what it is I am or I'm not doing physically Mm -hmm. that matters to you. It's what I say to affirm you that is conveyed through what I'm doing. Yeah. That means more than actually what it is that I'm doing.
1: Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to do... We'll talk about how do our styles... Come together in this segment, or if we should do another one. But I think just briefly, I'll touch on you know, as a vacillator, something that's very important to me is motive. Like, why are you connecting with me or why are you meeting the need? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why that, so we call it words of affirmation, but I think it's really just expressing the motive behind what you're doing is important to me because the vacillator has a distrust of motive because sometimes there was connection and sometimes there wasn't. Sometimes there was, you know, meeting of needs and sometimes there wasn't. And a lot of times that was contingent on the, you know, emotional state of the parent at that time, you know? And so... I think that's why that's important to me, and maybe people who are more I'm just thinking about this now, but like words of affirmation based maybe just need to hear that motive assigned to like why are you doing what you're mm-hmm. doing? Is this because you're actually doing this for me, or do you feel guilty that you were neglecting me back there and now you're trying to make up for it kind yeah of thing?
0: is it actually because of it's it's is it actually because it's for me or is it for you
1: exactly, yeah, and so. I don't know if that's helpful to you, love, of like, you know, words of affirmation can be such a nebulous, like, what the heck does that mean? What do I have to say to you, you know? Yeah. But I think for me specifically, I don't need to be told. I don't need to be buttered up as much as I need your motives to be clarified because I need to know that what you're doing is for me and it's not to satisfy something for you, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more so the fact that we are different Yeah. and that I don't need to force you through the way I process things yeah. yep. and what means more to you is not necessarily what's meaningful to me or mm-hmm. vice versa. Right. But that at the end of the day, you're my bride. And so I do the things that are important and meaningful to you because that you matter to me yeah. rather than just being like, hey, you just need to learn the things through view the things through my lens. Yeah. And that's probably where these areas that we can grow in as we grow together that we can practice. And this is totally going away from the topic at hand but i think that's what it means to at the end of the the day love is that you're doing something that doesn't really mean so much to you necessarily because Mm -hmm. it's not how you would receive love Mm -hmm. but you're doing it to the service of the person you are loving in their way Mm -hmm. and so along with that too in terms of identifying motive it's just the mode yeah that means the most to you more than what it is I'm actually doing, which in my view, I default to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of coupling with what you're saying Yeah. that I'm learning to practice Mm -hmm. in our relationship.
1: How would you say that reading about this Mm -hmm. and kind of working through this together has changed you or the way that you interact with me or others?
0: I don't know. It's just, it's um probably just, it lets you know what you're starting off with and lets you become conscious of, okay, you are the way that you are partly because of how you grew up mm-hmm. and like for better, for worse, right? And that in your upbringing, there were things that were or weren't done that caused you to shape the world around you and how you view love in a specific way. yeah And so for me, it's just what it is in terms of, you know, Learning to be very independent, learning to be, to seek this emotional status quo and like operating in this like band of approved emotions.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
0: And that if you fall outside of that, that's not desired, whether or not that's like expressed verbally or implied hmm. in how the family responds to emotional outbursts, hmm. you subconsciously learn that, okay, there's this. N- Band that okay we can operate in this. If you step outside of that, it's it's that's like n- the no fly zone. Yeah. And so in order to you know because the hope that there is for people that feel like oh they resonate with the avoider or the vacillator or whatnot is that that's where you started from. Yeah. And it's it's a starting point and it doesn't mean that you're going to be boxed in. 'Cause right. some of these like assessments tend to be dangerous because it because it makes people feel like they are the way that they are and they can't ever grow from it. Right. Yeah, And so with the love styles, they really drive home the fact that just because you're like this doesn't mean you can't grow from it. Right, And so for me, it's been helpful to just be like, okay, there are things that you are doing or the way you view love as a starting point that is shaped by your upbringing. And this is how it's contrasting with how other people or in our case, like how you mm-hmm. view love and how it clashes for us, yeah. which I think we should, you know maybe unpack that, but you can't, you can't grow into something different until you know where you're at. Yeah. And so this uh, reading this and learning about this has been helpful to just be, to, to just establish that baseline. Yeah,
1: I would agree. I think our, you know, magic question that we always ask is where are you, where do you want to be and how to get there? And you're not going to make forward movement if you don't know what your starting point is, or you're not willing to admit it. And so, yeah. It was I don't know if you would agree with this, but it was hard to read my section, you know, yeah. and admit like, wow, this is this is kind of how my view of love broke, you know, mm-hmm. and and now I am responsible for how I operate within that, mm-hmm. you know, and how that affects other people who are in relationship with me yeah. and who I care about very deeply, you know. What would you say are some common, or would be some common misconceptions,
0: of an avoider? Some common misconceptions of yeah, an avoider that you'd like to speak to. Um, maybe that they don't actually feel anything, and it's probably it's probably not that they don't, but they just haven't gone there. Yeah. To try and unpack that. Yeah. And so, and sometimes it's really tough to even like connect those pieces together, because. It's so foreign for you to experience something as an avoider, and then be like, "Oh, that made me feel happy, or sad, or mad."
1: Mm-hmm. And it's like you need that chart. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> with the, the emotions chart.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so I think just because it's not expressed, yeah, it doesn't mean that it's not there, and that at some point, and I've, you've seen me kind of go through this at times where you don't express it you'd suppress it and then it just boils over yeah and and so i think some of the times where you're seeing maybe a calmness in quotes mm-hmm. or a level-headedness in quotes is that in in an avoider is probably either un unco- like you're not conscious of how you feel or you're just numbing it numbing how you feel yeah or pushing down how you feel
1: yeah would you say that it might be common like there's a l- level of maybe escapism and detachment that might be characteristic of avoiders because i'm just trying to think because that's very foreign to me to mm-hmm. suppress emotions i think we can you know all agree that i'm a pretty emotional <laughs> expresser yeah um I just, I can't imagine mentally mm-hmm. what I would have to do to get to that place. And the only things I can think of is just like escapism and detachment. Mm-hmm. And and that probably looks different for different people. Mm-hmm. Like what escapism actually? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just curious. It could you, be that. Yeah.
0: It could manifest itself in that. It could manifest itself in sarcasm mm. or humor. I think some of this is also culturally driven.
3: Yeah. For sure,
0: in terms of like, there's just emotional distance between you know, in family relationships that's uh-huh. very uncommon to see in Western cultures, sure, and vice versa. Yeah, and so the way I see like Filipinos in particular, sometimes you do the, you cope with it by reverting to like comedy, okay, or sarcasm, uh-huh. or just some form of passive aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. But it's almost taboo to address the issue head on yeah whereas if you live in syracuse new york yeah it's exactly the opposite right like there is no time to beat around the bush yeah we have to address and tackle the issue head on yeah so that's probably you know that's the stark difference between you and i when it comes to Hmm. addressing conflict or emotions or, mm-hmm. you know, communicating experiences. And like, oh, how was mm-hmm. that? I oh, thought it was fine. Like, You didn't think it was good or bad. It was, like, it, was, it, was, it was fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. And.
1: Yeah. I think over the years I've learned that when I hear something from you, like, I'm worried about yeah. this. Or, or, you know, when I hear just this like little phrase that kind of comes and then it just goes and we just move on. I have yeah. to like go back and be like, wait, let's talk about that. <laughs> because. that means that you've been thinking about this. this is something that's been mulling around and this wasn't just like a spur of the moment
0: thought exactly (laughs) like Like it's it's at that point where i'm drowning in some sea of Mm. unknown and i need you to pull me out Mm -hmm. is
3: yeah i'm thinking about (laughs) this
0: right because it it does it's such a high threshold and Again, I'm like working through not letting it get to that point because there are other negatives that come with that where either the response is inappropriate or you've been dealing with it inappropriately. Yeah. Suppressing it or whatever. Name your coping mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. And so learning to just put a pulse on this unknown before it becomes this huge wave of emotions that you can't put your finger on anymore. Mm hmm because you've suppressed it. It's is a healthy exercise for an avoider in order to get out of those situations where like you just feel you are so overwhelmed by it now. Yeah. that you're not acting rationally anymore.
2: Hm.
1: Knowing what you do today about being an avoider, what would you go back yeah. and tell your younger self if you could? If yeah. you could sit down with like middle school or teenage MJ. Yeah. What would you say to him?
0: I would tell him it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be upset and it's okay to be angry and that you shouldn't try to suppress that hmm. because you're going to deal with it the rest of your life. Yeah. In in that you feel like you're level headed because you don't go there, but it's going to come back to you in some other form at a later time. Hmm. Or you're going to ask your spouse and children to put that away as well. Because that's how you handle that. Mm. And so there is a appropriate level of sitting in the discomfort of an emotion that you feel that should not be suppressed. Yeah, And that like, obviously, like if I did tell my younger self that I wouldn't listen to that because it's like, how do you do that? Right. Yeah. It doesn't work just by yourself. You have to create an environment where that is welcome. Mm. And I'm learning that as a dad. Yeah, and so allowing my daughter to to be to cry, yeah, to be angry, yeah, but coaching her through how to appropriately handle the way that she feels is what I would want to undo in what I experienced mm-hmm. for the next generation.
1: Yeah, and I will say, love, I think you've really grown in that, and I see an intentionality in that. I love the phrase you say to her. This, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you're an avoider, you're listening to this, you really resonate with this. You got kids. <laughs> <laughs> you say, I hear you say to her, it's okay to cry, but it's not okay to scream. And so helping guide her through, yeah. you know, it's okay to feel what you feel. Right. But we need to think about how our actions in dealing with it impact the people around us. And so I really see you taking steps to
0: working on it, babe. Yeah. I see yeah. that love. All right, enough talking about me. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Classic avoider. Well, hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Table Talks with Tares.
1: We'd love to hear from you. And if there's something you'd specifically like for us to talk about, visit honors underscore dot com slash table talks to let us know.
0: And if this episode was helpful to you, be sure to subscribe and to also share it with a friend. We really appreciate your support.
1: All music is from the OG MJ Tare. Join us next time for another conversation at our table.